I'm Dr. Omar Khan. I'm Dr. Shannon Gowland. I'm Dr. Tiffany Dursey. And welcome to Vet Sessions. Welcome back to Vet Sessions. I'm Tiffany Dursey, and I'm your host for today. And I'm very excited to have in-house Dr. Andrew Peregrine. He's here today to speak to us about Tritrichomonas fetus in cats. Who I think I said that right. I think you did. Good, because it's a, it's a tough one. So from here on in, I figure I'll refer to this parasite as T fetus, right? Because it's a handful. So it's so nice to be here. Thanks for coming today. Uh, before we get started, I wanted to mention that both Dr. Omar Khan and I were students in Dr. Peregrine's inaugural parasitology lecture when he started teaching at the Ontario Veterinary College back in the day. So that was... And do you remember what happened to that very first lecture? Well, I think you should tell us because I remember very clearly. I remember distinctly (laughs) the whole class boycotted the first 20 minutes. We did. We did. Isn't that terrible? Uh, Well, I thought that was the end of my teaching career. I thought a boycott in lecture one one does not bode well for the future. What what a way to welcome a new professor. So Uh, we all kind of took off. So I think it was Omar's idea, not mine. Okay. (laughs) So Andrew, I know you obviously as my parasitology professor way back in the day. Tell me, how is it that you ended up here in Guelph, Ontario at the Ontario Veterinary College? Uh, It's a a little bit of a long tropical uh, story, but I went (laughs) to vet school actually in Scotland. I grew up in England, but um, ended up going to vet school at the University of Glasgow on the west coast of Scotland. And that's straight out of high school, but into a five-year DVM equivalent program. Right. And at the end of that, I knew I wanted to work overseas, um, particularly in a tropical country. And I was very fortunate to be able to do a PhD registered in Glasgow, but all the work was done in East Africa, based at the International Laboratory for Research on Animal Diseases, ILRAD, just outside Nairobi. Oh, wow. And I did all the PhD there. And then at the end of that, after defending it back in Glasgow, I was extremely fortunate to be offered um, a postdoc research scientist position at that institute, working on a disease of cattle called trypanosomiasis. Um, the same thing I'd been doing the PhD on, and I ended up staying a total of 12 years or so. Oh, my gosh. And it was during that period, towards the end, I was involved in a number of field projects, particularly in Uganda and in East Africa and Burkina Faso and West Africa. Um, there were field projects, but in addition to all the people at my institute in Kenya, two um, people involved in the projects were actually faculty in the Department of Population Medicine here. And so over two or three years, I was actually working with them. I heard quite a lot about OVC. Um, And when a position became available, I decided to apply and the rest is history. Well, and what a change uh, from tropical to subtropical. Uh, yeah, I'll never... <laughs> it's I, snowing. I arrived in July. <laughs> oh, okay, with, well, that's good. With no warm clothes. <laughs> and I, as the weeks went by going through into the winter, I couldn't believe I needed to buy more and more clothes just to stay warm. Oh, uh, my gosh. So it was a, a big adjustment. And then what is your current position here at OBC? So I'm an associate professor in the Department of Pathophysiology, and I'm responsible for teaching clinical parasitology in the second, third, and fourth year of the DVM program. And what is your current research or passion in parasitology? Anything that's fun and interesting. Um, but particularly over the last two few years, it's been looking at the emergence of Echinococcus multilocularis, yes. um, both in dogs and wildlife species. Uh, And then in collaboration with people in the Department of Population Medicine, looking at alternative novel methods for controlling gastrointestinal parasites in sheep, which is a major uh, impact uh, constraint to production on pasture. 
That's that's very interesting and, and, and a nice segue for our parasite that we're going to talk about today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't recall learning very much about T. fetus back in vet school. What is this a new parasite? Why is it getting so much attention these days? I'm, I'm not sure it's getting it's getting more attention in some circles. And I think certainly when you were vet school, which was more than 20 years ago now. Tiffany, oh, thanks very much. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the. The reality was, I don't think anyone was talking about it then. And then right. over the last, probably the last eight to 10 years, I think certain people have started looking into other causes, well, multiple causes of large bowel diarrhea in cats. Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, when they'd ruled out everything else as a cause, um, they suddenly started finding this parasite called T. fetus. I think the reality is a lot of people weren't looking. Uh, and people that were looking weren't using appropriate diagnostic methods. So the usual sort of flotation methods, you wouldn't find T. fetus, for instance, in a fecal sample. That, that's really interesting. Now, can you tell me um, wh- when or what cases should a general practitioner consider T. fetus as a differential? Certainly from, from all the work that's been published and a little bit from our own experience, um, it's something that should be considered particularly in purebred uh, cats um, with chronic intermittent large bowel um, disease. Um, And certainly many people like ourselves have found that it's much more commonly found within purebred cats than crossbreds. And and that's interesting. I find, especially during COVID, we're certainly seeing more um, uh, cat ownership. And and to me personally, uh, we're seeing more uh, purebred cats. And so uh, there are certain diseases that come with that. I mean, I know with dogs, we certainly know that there are specific, uh, you know, diseases, chronic diseases or common diseases that we see in breeds. But certainly with the domestic short hair, they tend to be, you know, uh, mainly healthy. But certainly T. fetus isn't something that I've considered before. So chronic diarrhea would be something that we'd look at especially in the purebreds. Yeah, I mean, well, any cat with chronic intermittent large bowel diarrhea, but particularly okay. purebred cats. Purebred cats. Okay, that's interesting. Um, now, in 2013, your group published a study entitled Isolation of T. fetus from cats sampled at a cat clinic, cat shows, and a humane society in southern Ontario. Can you tell us more about your study? Um, has anything changed since then? And is this parasite becoming more of a problem? So that's a lot of questions. That was, that was a lot of questions. <laughs> and in fact, in the reality was we were actually not interested in the parasite. And then some okay. of the small animal clinicians came to us and said, look, the folks in the U.S. are talking more and more about T. fetus in cats, and we wonder mm. whether we should be looking for it. And so can, can we do some studies on cat populations in southern Ontario to find out how common the parasite is? And they said, quite rightly, if you look to the literature, that anywhere up to 25, 30% of cats in some studies were found to be infected with T. fetus. Wow, that's, that's, that's more than I would have thought. Well, it was a lot. That's huge. Yeah. And so, so we thought, well, this will be easy to find if it's that common um, sure. in southern Ontario cats. So we took on a summer student called Hilary Peach mm-hmm. um, to look at different cat populations. And the first population we asked her to go and sample were all the cats visiting one of the cat clinics in Guelph. And over the summer months, they sampled 140 cats. Wow, that's a lot. And only one was positive for T. fetus. And okay. then we thought, well, hang on, that's not consistent at all no. with what they're seeing in the U.S. Hmm. So then we said, well, okay, why don't you go instead sample cats uh, in, the, in one of the humane societies? Uh, sure. We couldn't get as many cats. We sampled 46. None of them were infected. Oh, wow. So then I thought, okay, well, the only other cat populations we're not looking at 
All right. Uh, for instance, cats going to cat shows are essentially 100% right. purebred cats. So Hillary went off to two cat shows um, in southern Ontario, uh, and she sampled 55 cats. So these are all obviously healthy cats right. in cat shows, all purebred, and essentially 24% of them were positive. Oh, no kidding. Wow. And, and the interesting thing is I mentioned the cat clinic in Guelph where 140 cats were sampled. There was one positive. Right. Only, the only one was, that was positive was a purebred, a Bengal cat. Oh, wow. That's interesting. So it, w- it was interesting that if you went and sampled just purebred cats, this right. parasite was far more common than it is in crossbreds, which relates to my early com- comments about really the data, both ours and others, has suggested it should be up the top of the list of differentials for chronic large bowel diarrhea in, in, purebreds, in purebreds, but not crossbreds. So, so that means that generally here at uh, with most of your domestic short hairs, particularly for those that don't have chronic diarrhea, really it's not 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 something that we would regularly deworm for or regularly look for. And like you said, even with our annual fecal um, flotations, it's it's not going to come up with mm-hmm. that. So, mm-hmm. so that's interesting. Um, so, with that in mind, what what is the best way to test for T fetus? Because the fecal floats are obviously not not the thing to do. No, I mean, if you used standard flotation methods, you'll miss the only structure that the parasite exists in is the trophozoite. Okay. So it's identical to the trophozoite of giardia that lives in the intestine, and it is closely related to giardia. But unlike giardia, there's no environmentally resistant cyst form. Okay. And so that's why it's so difficult to diagnose using standard fecal examination methods. Historically, what people did do for many years was um, a a thing called in-pouch TF, which basically was a little Mm -hmm. pouch with culture fluid. Um, You collected um, feces, a rectal fecal sample, and put it in the pouch. Um, But over the last five or so years, most diagnostic labs have started offering PCR methods, which are typically significantly more sensitive and far more likely um, to detect infection than using any other technique. So the standard recommendation today is use PCR. PCR. Uh, and that's obviously on a fecal sample. Is that uh, Does it matter if it's fresh? Does it matter if it's coming from a kitty litter sample that one of the clients brought in? So ideally, you should either use a, a rectal loop right. or, or use a saline flush of the large intestine. You're much more likely to detect parasites if you submit one of those two samples, as opposed to, for instance, cat litter feces. Okay. Um, the other thing that's been shown to maximize the chance of detecting the parasites, number one, submit feces when the animal's diarrheic. You're right. much more likely to detect it in diarrheic feces than if a cat's healthy. And okay. Typically with T fetus, cats wax and wane between being diarrheic and non-diarrheic. And so okay. one of the recommendations, if, you, if T fetus is on the list of differentials, wait until the animal's diarrheic, submit feces at that point. Ideally, the animal should not have received an antibiotic um, for at least the previous seven days before, Before um, before you submit a sample for testing. Okay, that, that, that's interesting. You know, I remember back in the day uh, when it was commonplace to use fecal loops, and it was interesting because uh, not too long ago I had said to one of my colleagues, so, you know, if you really need a fecal sample, we should grab a fecal loop, and we couldn't find one in the <laughs> clinic. And I think it kind of went by the wayside. So these are kind of like almost like little um, uh, popsicle sticks, I guess, that have a little loop in it, and then you just unfortunately insert it into the rectum and then uh, and then go ahead and, and get a sample, right? 
Yeah, that's true. I mean, yeah. historically what people did was do rectal swabs oh, right? like with, with a okay. Q-tip. But it's been shown that on average, those are, you're significantly less likely to detect the parasites than if you use a fecal loop fecal or loop. a saline wash. Okay, interesting. Okay. I'm sure the cats will love that. Yeah. <laughs> Good old cats, Well, right? all I can tell you, the one Bel- Bengal cat that we oh sampled, boy. I think the summer student is lucky they're still alive. Yeah, I was going to say, we need proof of life. Hillary, are you out there? <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. So um, I understand that ranitazole is currently the best treatment for this disease. Can you tell us more about this drug, the duration of treatment and side effects? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting issue because... I mentioned that T fetus is very closely related to Giardia, but right. in contrast to Giardia, it doesn't respond well to the treatments we use for Giardia, like, for instance, metronidazole. Okay. Renidazole is actually in the same drug class as metronidazole. It's a nitromidazole. It is a veterinary drug. We mm-hmm. use it, for instance, for treating trichomonas infections in pigeons, oh. uh, histomonas infections in turkeys. So it's, it's, it's not a drug that's restricted only to this usage in cats. Typically, you can get it through a compounding pharmacy. Uh, and all the most up-to-date information about the recommended treatment protocol for T. fetus infections in cats, you'll find on Ju- Dr. Judy Gookin's um, website at North Carolina State University. She's done all, I think, all the pioneer initial research on this parasite. Okay. Um, and... It's essentially her recommendations of what we typically use when we use ranitazole. Initially, the ranitazole treatment protocol was associated with significant neurotoxicity in cats. Okay. But the standard recommendation today is to use ranitazole at a dosage of 30, 30 milligrams per kilogram daily per os um, for 14 days in a row. Interesting. And then do you wait quite some time or can you test right away or do you retest or with the PCR, do you know if they'll be positive for quite some time? So that's an interesting question because a little bit like Giardia, I think typically the objective of treatment is not necessary to eliminate infection, but is to eliminate disease. Okay. Um, And typically that ranitazole treatment is good at eliminating clinical signs but quite often it does not eliminate the infection and cats can remain carriers for many years okay. before they eventually spontaneously eliminate the infection. Which, which is interesting and maybe that's why, as you said before, with um, purebred cats um, or people often have multiple or perhaps breeding facilities and whatnot, maybe that's why you're seeing more. I, partly. More I mean, I, I think the reason... There's no evidence, for instance, that the association with purebred cats is because they are significantly more susceptible to infection than crossbreds. I think okay. it just reflects the fact that they're more likely to live in multi-cat environments. Okay. And as a rule of thumb, trying, for instance, if you've got clinical disease in a cat due to T. fetus, T. Um, renizzol treatment protocols tend to be more efficacious in single cat households than multi-cat households or catteries. And I think the reason for that is just that a cat is more likely to get reinfected in, okay. a, in a multi-cat environment. And uh, just to recap, so with the, um, uh, the contraction of this disease, is it from the fecal-oral route only, or is there other... It's only, only. fecal-oral. The okay. trophozoites are shed in feces, and, and surprisingly, you might think they will die very quickly, but they can remain in feces for one, two days maximum. So it's okay. only um, direct contact with feces. And so certainly from a, a husbandry uh, perspective, um, cleaning kidney litter, um, making sure it's disposed of right away, uh, bleach, any disinfectants? Yeah, it would be very or? susceptible okay. to, to any type of disinfectant. So, so good, good husbandry, good cleaning, disinfection, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So 
Interesting. Um, we do have a couple of cases that we've seen, um, but again, you know, far and few between. And it sounds, I mean, again, our, the population at our clinic here is mostly domestic short hairs, but we're starting to see, like I said, more and more purebred cats. And so maybe that's something that we're going to have to look at a little bit more, particularly when we see chronic diarrhea. So, um, I, think, I think one of the issues certainly with treatment is it's not always, it's not always effective, even with ranitazole. Uh, and so sometimes managing disease um, can can be challenging and you may need to repeat treatment protocols unfortunately both in the u.s and in australia recently they've started demonstrating resistance to ranitazole in t fetus infections oh wow which is particularly challenging because at the moment there really is nothing else to use wow and so yeah so 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 obviously like you said metronidazole is not an option and so if you can't get the ranitazole what does one do or you basically search hard for it well i th- the other thing is, I think it's a little bit like Giardia infections. That, okay. like Giardia infections, I think we're increasingly realizing that there are there are multiple things that can tip the balance between animals having subclinical uh, and clinical infections. And there's more evidence for that in Giardia than T. fetus. But I know, for instance, folks down at the Toronto Humane Society spend a lot of time focusing on, for instance, um, fiber content in diet, environmental okay. enrichment issues, uh, and. Typically, if you pay attention to those issues, uh, animals can revert back from being clinical to having subclinical infections. And it's very likely the same is true with T. fetus. Interesting. It'd be interesting to know if there's any, you know, effects with probiotics or whatnot. Yeah. Do you know, is there any current research um, on our or exciting research, new research or uh, future interest in T. fetus? N- not um, much. Okay. Unfor- yeah. Yeah. I guess it's <laughs> not much, a I super I think common. the reality is because, because no company, I mean, the ranidazole efficacy right. was just totally incidental. And there's no company with a vested interest who's prepared to fund studies. There are one or two groups around the world. I mean, the resistance issue in Australia is probably the one of the most recent studies. Okay. <clears throat> and it's confirmed what had happened in the has happened in, with a few cases in the U.S. And I, I think that the, one of the take-home messages from that is is not to be excessive with the use of ranitazole. Right. Um, if you can look at non-drug interventions to see whether those can help cats manage infections uh, in a subclinical manner, um, you know, only reach for ranitazole if it's really needed. Right. Because most cats eventually, although it will eliminate infection, but it can take a lot longer than it can, for instance, with Giardia infections to be eliminated. Now, does this parasite T. fetus, uh, are there any other species that are affected by it? Or, for instance, um, the cat family, would you happen to know? Um, Other members of the cat family, tigers, lions, whatever? It's likely. There is another okay. T fetus, which you must have forgotten that they did teach you when you were at vet school that infects cows. Ah, right. okay. Right. So it's got the same name, T fetus. Okay. And it was, a, it was recognized a lot, a lot longer than the cat one, um, that it causes early embryonic death and infertility in cattle. Okay. Um, it's got the same name, but genetically it, it's significantly different from the genotype that occurs in cats. Okay, and the T fetus um, then is not zoonotic, so which means that it's not transmissible to people as far as we know. There there actually has been one or two, there's been at least one human case, but in an individual that was profoundly immunosuppressed. Okay. So on a typically day-to-day basis, it's not considered a zoonotic concern. Wow, that's that's interesting. I did not know that. Yeah. Um, Any other interesting facts about T fetus? Yeah, I mean, don't forget it if yep. you're staring at a purebred cat. Okay. But but also, I mean, the danger of a podcast like this is you focus on T fetus, fetus and forget the things that are more commonly causes um, of diarrhea in cats and, and eliminate those, obviously, 
Um, so as far as parasites are concerned, eliminate things like, I think, giardias, particularly in cats, I think, is also underdiagnosed because we don't Probably. look for it nearly as frequently as we do in dogs. Absolutely. Don't forget coccidia. Don't forget, for instance, roundworms and hookworms in cats. Yeah, so and certainly it, common things happen commonly, yeah. and you should always kind of look and do your regular workup uh, uh, before you start spending money on PCR. Right. Yeah. Because once you've made a diagnosis, you're, you're, you're into long-term management, um, and some of the testing, certainly, um, if you're doing it multiple times, isn't cheap. Yeah, I can imagine the PCR is not uh, not cheap in a fecal float, a regular fecal float, and some good good uh, uh, regular, regular diagnostic workup is probably always best to start. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Well, thank you, Dr. Peregrine. It's been so lovely to have you here today. Uh, It's always interesting to learn more about different diseases and T. fetus is one of those ones that has just recently become on my radar. And so I'm glad to know a little bit more about it. Um, For our listeners, thanks for joining us today on Vet Sessions. Please consider following us on Instagram at Vet Sessions. If you'd like to send us a message, please email us at vetsessions at hotmail.com. We'll see you next time.